Welcome to B2B Power Hour, where we dive deep into the real sales issues that stop you from making a good living in the profession we love. We discuss how to get, keep, and grow customers by unpacking the prospecting and selling techniques that work in 2023, the ones that you want in your personal OS as a seller. Forget the hustle. It's time for a Power Hour. Now, on to today's episode. So today's topic, of course, is identifying target accounts to go beyond quota. But Nick, you had a poll about this the other day. Let's start there. What was the poll? What did you ask LinkedIn? I said, whose job is it to build account lists? Is it completely up to the company? Or should it be up to the salesperson? I can tell you who the standard, what the standard answer is. So I want to hear from you guys. What do you guys think? Should the company be giving you guidance on who to talk to and what to say and doing that hard work? Or is that hard work reserved for the sellers and the marketers that are taking that product to market? What do you guys think? Throw in the comments. I'm curious to hear what you say. I'll tell you guys that you're, you're in good company in either answer because yes. it was divided perfectly down the line 50-50. <laughs> and a lot of people weren't sure how to respond. And so they messaged me out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. If you guys know anybody right now that is struggling with prospecting, they don't know who to talk to or what to say, they don't really have a system or a playbook that they use to go and build those account lists. And when they're reaching out to people, their reply rates are bad. They're just mm -hmm. not, they're not booking the meetings that you need to hit quota. Tag mm -hmm. them. Yeah. This is going to be a, a deep dive. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be controversial, I warned you right off the start. Well, and it's so interesting, Nick, because over those past couple of weeks since we launched Aligned, our consultancy, and we've begun sort of rolling out some more of these hot takes that come from our experiments and our experience with these companies that we've begun talking to and working with, it is very clear, and I'm surprised. I think, Nick, you have more industry experience on the sales side than I do, but I'm always so surprised by what the sales team's jobs are. Like if I had to, it's a big universe at a lot of companies. Like, And depending upon the go-to-market, like we can pause here for a second. Sure, if you have a product-led company and you're trying to do digital self-service, the conversation is a little different. But if you're at a sales-led company, Nick, it seems like sales is responsible for the whole kit and caboodle. Everything is the sales team's job to figure out. And yeah, when you look at roles and responsibilities right now, it is kind of funny how the different titles. I don't know if some of that was just getting away from the sales stigma. Yeah. Or if it's just this new specialization. But you guys have probably seen this. You get the founder that drives the motion. Mm -hmm. They get too busy or they see money. And so to prepare for that next stage of growth, what do they do? They try to hire a rainmaker to take over the sales. Yeah. Because they're not that salesperson. They know that. And so what happens? There's no ability to jump in their brain and download all of that niche information, those subtle nuances, those pains, those conversations, that trial and error that they did over the first three years before they hired that salesperson never gets downloaded, never gets communicated. And so it's literally trial by fire for these salespeople. And when they don't hit quota because they were told to do it too fast, too quick, they get fired. Yeah. 
And then it's a vicious cycle. So what happens yeah. next? Well, then they look at marketing. They're like, well, maybe like there's something wrong with this. And so that we look at marketing and we go and say, well, maybe we need to go and do a proper demand gen play. Maybe we need to invest into paid ads. Maybe we need to go and relentlessly email the entire world because, you know, the volume <laughs> game is what works. <laughs> there's, there's all these different things that people will then do. They can't do it internally because they're doing basically digital sales and not actual marketing. They fire the vendor. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this over and over. And it's funny because me and you have been on different sides of the coin on this. It's like a toxic relationship. <laughs> it's just it, it, it's it this is. vicious cycle, man. <laughs> and then you get to finally the third step where they're like, oh, maybe the product's wrong or the pricing's yeah. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the way we see ourselves isn't the way the market sees us. And maybe what we think doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. how we're perceived in the market is what, you know, is what people are willing to pay. Yeah. There's, there's these different like subtle nuances. But it's kind of funny. I, I, I was telling you this at the pre-show. I was thinking about some of my past experiences. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. the way people go to market, the way people sell, is like seeing an attractive person at a bar. Mm-hmm. And you walk over to them, and you offer to buy them a drink, and they say no. And you're like, well, what the hell? Like, I looked at my ICP. You were on my account list. Uh, your name is this. So you're the right persona. You're my buying persona. Why wouldn't you want to take a meeting with me? It says right here that you're the person that I should be talking to. And she's like, well, I'm not single. I never gave you any triggers, any events, any notion that I was interested in you. I was here sitting by myself. No, my job, getting my job, jobs done that I need to do to get paid. Mm -hmm. And then we take it personally. Yeah. What? How could they not be interested in what we have to sell? How could they not be interested in having a drink on me? But we missed something. We missed something mm-hmm. so critical. Mm-hmm. Where was that initiation? Mm-hmm. Where was that trigger? Where was that event? Where is that information that tells you that that is what they wanted? Or that mm-hmm. was the time to approach them? This is why most sales and marketing go-to-markets fail miserably. Mm-hmm. We make too many assumptions, which we all know what that means. When you make an assumption Uh and here we are. And so I'll take you back to a story of insurance that I was telling Morgan this morning. I was, this is a great story, guys. This is so good. Well, it's one of those stupid, you stumble forward. Or is that like one step forward, five steps back? Yeah. Uh And I was trying to think of like, what's a good story in my life that I saw this actually work and that it's not just fluff because if I can't tell a story, then I don't understand it or I don't, I've never seen it work, but I was thinking, where did this happen in my life? And I was thinking back when I owned my insurance brokerage. And uh, if anybody has been following us along, they probably have heard the story about my manager dropping me off in a light industrial area after a morning meeting and then just leaving me for the entire day. And that was before the days of cell phones. So I couldn't call anyone. I just had to go and door knock. Well, (laughs) it was the most disgusting, horrible experience doing that because I did not know anything about product. I didn't know anything about customers. It wasn't a market that I had been in before. I just knew how to talk to people and I knew a little bit about sales. But that little knowledge told me I was in the wrong place. And so when I went back, I started looking at our product and I'm like, okay, what is this better at than anything else? How does it stack up against our competitors? And I realized that that our our life insurance was, I won't say garbage, but... (laughs) It wasn't great. (laughs) It wasn't great. The disability insurance though, 
had some, like a subtle nuance in the, how it was written that anybody that worked with their hands was the best coverage you could get. And it had something where you could get your money back if you never used it. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And so I started going out and talking to tradesmen. And a lot of them said they needed it. They'd book a meeting with me and then they no-show. And I'm like, well, what the hell? Why would you give me all these buying signs that you like this, that it makes sense, but then never pull the trigger? So what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Well, there was no event. There was no pain, strong enough pain that they felt daily or weekly that really pushed them over the line to buy, to make a change. And that change was never now. So they were always waiting for later when it was important because it wasn't Mm -hmm. important at that time. So I'm like, so what would make this important? And so I started looking at who had bought for me, who was interested and who actually moved that forward and made that change. And I realized there are some people that had active lifestyles outside of work and they loved to go have fun. And I was up in Edmonton at this time. So they were playing in the snow, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, quads, snowboarding. They were active. And one of the guys, whenever I was talking to him, said a statement that just stuck with me. And he's like, the thing that pisses me off more than anything else is I go out to have fun with my friends and I have to hold back and I can't put my all in it because if I get hurt, then mm-hmm. I lose everything. Mm-hmm. So think of that as a trigger. Do you ever hold back on what you do outside of work for fear that you can't earn a living with your hands? That's such a good question to that man. <laughs> that question took me from 30 plus hours of prospecting a week Mm -hmm. to less than three. It was actually about one and a half to two. But it was interesting because once I knew that was the question, then I started thinking of what are symptoms? What are signs that these people look like that, act like that, are like that? So I looked for people that had snowmobile decks on the back of their trucks. I looked for people that had sport emblems on their trucks or their, their vehicles. I looked for guys that were wearing like different jerseys or like different gear or sometimes even how I'd talk to them, I'd tease them with different like sporting terms and I would know right away what type of person they were, what they did outside of work. Well, my success rate went from less than 20% talking to people to beyond 80%. And that's why I could do a lot less is because I identified a pain, a trigger Mm -hmm. that was worth moving on. Mm Mm-hmm. So now as you guys are sitting there, you guys have your ICP. Mm-hmm. You have those buyer personas. What is that pain that is felt daily or weekly that is such a pain in the ass, that is so strong, that is so relevant, forget personalized, yep. relevant in their day-to-day life, that if you brought it up, you would be their hero and they couldn't ignore you? Mm-hmm. One of the interesting analogies that I've liked, we've developed various sorts of ways of talking about this (laughs) through the many, many weeks of this show. But I continue to come back to this. The way that most companies approach sales development in the market is they go net fishing. So basically, you're on a big boat, there's a big ocean, you drop some bait, and you hope some fishes show up in that spot. And then you cast a net and you try and catch some of the fishes. Now, some of the fishes are too smart, so they escape the net. So you try and get something out of the ocean because it's a good spot in the market. It's the right spot. But you're casting this big net and you're just trying to bait them in to have a conversation. And then you try and scoop some up and most of them escape or a good chunk of them do. What Nick is pointing to is instead of net fishing, 
that's like discovery. So then what do they do? Mm -hmm. They rely on discovery after as they're going through the net and throwing back the things that don't work after they've done their discovery questions. Exactly. They're like, I don't want that fish. I don't want that thing. I know that doesn't make we're going to keep these. Right. And it's all this extra work. It's all of this extra work. You need to go and turn that into a video. Just say definitely. (laughs) But what Nick is pointing to is you become a spearfisher. And one thing that if you've ever seen YouTube videos of this, and I would highly recommend it, it's both an art form and enthralling. The spearfisher is more patient, right? Because she's going to wait until the fish is in the right spot. She's going to learn how the fish moves, right? In the water. What, where the, she's watching the fish move along. And then when the right time is to strike, she's going to throw the spear. Here's the thing you almost always hit the fish, <laughs> okay? Every once in a while you miss, which is fine, but great spear fishers always hit the fish. And the reason is they patiently study the movements of the fish in the water, otherwise known as studying the pain of their target customers in the market. Because, mm-hmm. and this is for another day, because we need to you know, evolve this, but <laughs> what this leads to is an entire shift in thinking about activity metrics. Because what Nick had pointed out is, does it really matter if you prospect 30 hours a week if you hit a fish 80% of the time? Not really. Does it matter that you send out enough cold emails or cold calls if every time you throw a spear, you hit? Not really. So what is required is studying the fish's movements so that when you throw a spear, you're most of the time successful. That's what Nick is talking about. So. So many companies opt for the net approach because they don't know their market, honestly. I mean, that's kind of a hot take. Most companies don't know who they should sell to. And that's fine. Like, And it's hard to figure out. And that's what we're about to break down. So if you're at a net company, if you're at a company that just throws out a big net, does discovery to throw the things out, and then says, okay, we'll keep these few things and tries and, you know, catches them. What? Okay, that's fine. But what we're talking about is a spearfishing approach where we are studying the market first and then throwing at a higher success rate in an entirely different uh, way to do sales. <laughs> does that analogy work, Nick? <laughs> so guys, in the comments, how does this compare to how you're going to market right now? Let us know. Mm-hmm. You can be yes, no. It could be dive a little bit more detail. If you have mm-hmm. questions, right now is a good place to go and throw them in and we can dive into some questions as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a great analogy. You're going to have to turn that into a tiki or something because <laughs> we can do that. This and what happens when you go and over hire or you don't do this hard work is now you have to go and play the game of justifying space. Mm-hmm. And this is what we see a lot of the time is companies will have a light product market fit. They're starting to get a little bit of traction. They'll hire five to 10 SDRs and then they'll have to fire them within a year. And it's because the product market fit wasn't actually there. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't properly download that information from the founder mm-hmm. or the founder didn't actually know what was actually going on and only assumed that there was fit there. And then the volume play, the net fishing play burns your whole tan. And this is kind of talked about sometimes. But basically, if you fish for a year and you have 10 different boats out in the market, you're going to hit all the potential spots, basically. Okay, you're going to burn the whole TAM because your whole total addressable market, your TAM based on just your volume-based approach. And that means that the next time somebody reaches out to your target ICPs from your company, they're going to be like, yeah, these people are spammy, you know? And it takes time 
to adjust from that approach and reposition a company with a more yeah targeted approach. There's a LinkedIn user. It doesn't tell me who, but I, I want to start answering this question, but I don't want okay. I won't give you the full answer because I want to go and dive into it and build up some steps. Yeah. But uh, miscellaneous LinkedIn user says, how can I build a case for that while doing what my AEs are asking of me, casting the wide net? Mm. Fantastic question. And the question is, what pain shows up enough to satisfy mm. your quota? You'll have more than one pain. And this is why I say it's the company's problem to do this is because the companies have access to the full information. AEs, SDRs, BDRs, even some sales managers do not have access to past customer information at a detailed enough level. Or it's nobody true. did customer interviews. Or mm -hmm. nobody did win-loss analysis. This is why it, it is a collaborative event because it needs to be adjusted as you go. But this is the hard work and it takes weeks or not months. Mm -hmm. And so what are those problems that show up more often that you solve? Only start with one or two, but find those one or two problems. Pick an ICP, pick a buyer persona, step inside their shoes to understand the jobs to be done and really understand what the hell did they do before you showed up? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they weren't sitting on their hands, twiddling their thumbs or like life was still going on. It just wasn't as good as it is now. Yep. So what were they doing? Mm -hmm. Figure out that pain. Find another one. So when you're prospecting, prospect on that. Do what I was talking about with the insurance and figure out those questions that lead to evidence. What is the evidence that they are ready for a change? And then what you can do, depending on how big your team is, is you can get somebody to specialize by pain or specialize by channel if you're doing a multi-channel approach because there's different subtle nuances on LinkedIn versus TikTok versus YouTube mm -hmm. or email, text messages, or cold calls. Mm -hmm. All valid channels, depending on your buyer and what they prefer. Yep. But find a pain that shows up enough. And instead of saying VP of sales, director of sales, it's like, okay, who hires somebody that needs sales training? I was thinking yeah, about this why? the other day. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, why, why would they need to hire a sales trainer? Well, maybe they, you know, oh, why? Why would they need that? Why would their sales efficiency need to go up? Is it because they're not selling enough? Is it because they're trying to grow really fast? Well, if they're trying to grow really fast, why would they try to grow really fast? Oh, maybe they just hired 10 SDRs because they're about to do a raise. Mm -hmm. Or they're about to get acquired and they want to improve their valuation before they get acquired. So this is kind of that ramp up. Cool. So how long? What is that timeline that they need to see this happen? Holy crap. So that not only is this a big change that they're willing to make because it has to happen. It's a do or die situation. Do or, you're like, yep. They can't ignore it. And <laughs> there's a definitive timeline of when it needs to happen. Cool. Mm -hmm. So what are the signs that this isn't working? Well, maybe they haven't hired anybody for months and they just hired 10 people over the last year. And over the past three to six months, they laid off half of them. Yep. Oops. Didn't work. <laughs> but yep. this is how we need to change our prospecting is it, it needs to be event driven. I will tell you that CRMs are not event driven. They're activity driven or object driven because yes. they're built in SQL. So we need to ignore the tools for a second and we need to go and first focus on the events that make somebody ready to change. And from a, uh, and I'll just say this really quick, I think there was a comment somewhere a little while ago, like intent data is not what we're talking about. No. Intent data is cool, 
but it's not pain-based. You know, somebody going to your website has, says nothing about your pain. Somebody downloading an ebook says nothing about their pain, right? So one of the things, I've said this before, and I will say it again until my dying breath, people do not wake up dreaming about what software they can purchase today, you know? Nobody wakes up and says, gosh, you know what? I can't wait to talk to a salesperson about a new suite of software. Nobody says that. Yeah. Nobody wakes up and says those things. I think it's about like a $50,000 problem. So I can yeah, it's, it's, that, you know? it, I'm probably going to, right. Who has the authority to make this happen for me? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> right. And this is, and this is also why like lots of sales qualification methodology fits into the net fishing approach because you're trying to figure out what in the net makes sense. When you're trying to do pain-based prospecting, you're trying to dive into and understand what Nicholas is pointing to, which is what are the symptoms of their problem that they would say to you or that you mm -hmm. could call out for them? And the best way to do that is to talk to customers and talk to prospects to understand their language, of course. But people don't, you know, so I let's talk about commission-based software. You know, there's a bunch of different companies out there that now sell software that helps simplify commissions. The reality is most sales managers don't wake up dreaming about commission-based software. I'm just going to riff on this for a second as an example. They probably dread doing Excel spreadsheets. They probably dread getting something wrong and have one of their prize staff members you know, get the wrong commission. And then they would leave. leave. They probably dread turnover. They probably don't like the amount of work it takes for the six different people to do commission right. They probably don't like right all of the features of the status quo that create anxiety and stress and worry and fear. Those are pains, right? And now it's our job to identify the symptoms of those pains. What does that mean in their day-to-day? -day? Do their managers harp on them to get commission done faster? Probably not. Do their sales teams want to get paid correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Have they had turnover? Have they had new funding? Have they had a whole new sales team created. All of these little events that Nicholas is pointing out to that we can identify by publicly available information or at the very least LinkedIn Sales Navigator that will assist in us saying this is the right company because ultimately, and Nick, I don't want to steal your thunder here too far, but by basically the, the goal of this is that within your ICP or within your industry, you could pull a random list of 100 different companies and say yes or no to all of those hundred. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And that's a high goal, by the way. Like that's very difficult to do. And not a lot of companies can do that well. Because this is more than just, did they raise some money recently? It's, did they raise some money recently? Did they use that to hire sales staff? Do they have sales managers? Are those sales staff running some sort of traditional cold outbound? Oh, that's probably going to mean low response rates. That's a pain that we saw at this other company that we won closed like three months ago. So let's take them as a social proof. Let's tie that into a pain. Are you experiencing low response rates? Okay, now let's do an outreach effort that targets the sales manager. Now we're threading all of these things together and we can look at different companies and say, yes, probably not. Yeah, no, no, yes, no, no, based on our understanding. So Tracy, me and Tracy were talking about, <laughs> they work with the cybersecurity or basically if it's a call center, if you call in, how do you verify that you're you? Oh, what is that? We've totally. all had that ugly experience of what that looks like. Well, you can't go into, even if you shop, secret shop that, and you're like, oh my God, 
you know, that was one of the worst like caller experiences and you call in to go and tell somebody about it. You can do that. Mm-hmm. But something that might be interesting that you can actually find in one of the buckets that are available in data is, you know, hey, Tracy, was looking at your company on LinkedIn and saw you didn't have a cybersecurity specialist. Or uh, I apologize, Tracy, I don't know all the terms in your market, but somebody that specializes in the verification process for your customers and then insert problem. Mm -hmm. That could be a sign that they haven't taken it seriously because nobody has it in their roles and responsibilities yet. So you can actually use sales nav and do Mm -hmm. keyword search on the top left. And you can actually find that in job descriptions that the people that have it or that don't. Right. And even like job hiring profiles or like customer retention specialists, depending upon how you need to, how your product is positioned in the market effectively against your competitors. Is it more security focused? Is it more customer retention focused? You know, some of those things will depend upon the firm, but you're just trying to find validation. This company is probably experiencing this. How do I know? So when you're going through this process, it's going to flip your whole world upside down because the vanity (laughs) metrics that you guys have company wide. That was based on predictable revenue. If you do so many actions, you get this type of result. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work anymore because if I can go and shoot at everything moving down the street, doesn't mean that I got the deer that I had a tag for. Mm-hmm. I don't hunt, so mm-hmm. yeah, I could go and try a thousand beer and only like one of them. That's much more your alley. <laughs> that's much more my alley. I can, but I know what to look for now. But that's uh-huh. that's different. So when you're doing this and you're looking at the total market that you could address, what is the minimum requirements to work with you? Mm-hmm. What's the minimum? So for us, maybe one of them could be, maybe they have a wacky ratio of sales to marketing, which says that marketing isn't valued and it's there just to service sales. And so sales are left to do all the prospecting. But if I look at their website and their website doesn't have a clear value prop, it doesn't work because then it tells me that those salespeople are probably really going to struggle with who they're talking to because it's, they're not clear on who that is either. Yep. And so what is that minimum? What is that minimum thing that they have to have? Is it a certain, is it an industry? Is it employees? Is it headcount in a certain department? Is it a rate of growth? Is it a funding round? Mm -hmm. What is the bare minimum they have to have for them to realize the full value of what you offer? Because if you don't take this into consideration, guess what you're going to be playing? The discount game. The discount game. Yep. So this is the bare minimum. The next part is, where's the best place? What is the biggest pain and where does it show up the most? So let's just say we take software or IT, right? We see this all the time with the the wacky ratio of sales to marketing. Mm -hmm. I can go on sales nav. I can actually go and put in less than... It's not as good as some other software suites, but I'm not going to dive into that today because those software suites get expensive. If anybody's mm-hmm, yeah. interested, shoot me a DM and I can go and get you in the loop on some of the other software suites that are available. But using SalesNav, just go and write department headcount, marketing. They need to have a minimum of one, but less than three. That means that it's not a big function and it's not playing the role that it should, usually. Yep. And then you can look at their content to verify but this mm-hmm. is how you can work through that list. And there's you're actually qualifying by evidence. Is your assumption, is that pain that you assume they had backed up by insight? And you'll see this over and over and over again as you're looking at these accounts. You're like, 
oh, you know, when I was talking to that, you know, those last three people, they said this when I asked them this question about why that sales to marketing ratio was so weird. That tells me that the insight I gained from those conversations is that marketing isn't valued and they're just trying to throw a Hail Mary pass on sales. And here you are with your spear studying the fish. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You're like, okay, is this right? Is this right? But I want to throw in one thing that doesn't get talked about as much either mm-hmm. is if a great white shark or a blue whale came in and you have that little harpoon, mm. all you're going to do is scare them away. You're not going to get them. You also have to go and be realistic of your capacity to deliver. And that comes down to the timeline, which is more of a discovery part. But you have to yep. be realistic on who can see the full value of your service based on pain. And this is also why it's somewhat a company conversation and not just the sales team's job to figure this out. Because frankly, and I mean this with the highest respect, I don't think it's the sales team's job to figure that out. Like that is a that is a company conversation. Is our success big enough? Are our product teams ready for this? Do we have enough support? Do we have enough funding? Is the economics of the deal make sense? Like those are things that executives will have to answer as a part of this if your traditional ACV is, I don't know, 25 grand or 30 grand per deal, and suddenly a $500,000 deal lands on your doorstep. Cool. Very awesome as a sales professional in order to field that inbound. The problem is on the back end, your company may not be able to deliver that. And that's why a lot of this conversation of, okay, what are the minimum thresholds, but also what's our maximum capacity are so crucial in driving which accounts make sense for us right now in our life cycle. Because if we can't answer that, we'll get in trouble. And it can change. You're not lost. It's not written in stone. This is where a lot of people I see make this struggle too, is they think that they're limiting their choice, but all they're doing is defining their positioning and tightening everything up. They're on their segmentation. If you're trying to shoot two or three things at once, you'll probably just miss everything. You know, imagine I haven't done this before, but if you're imagining you're trying to get that one fish Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to hit three at once and you're trying to go quick, by the time you shoot the one, the other two are gone. Yeah. One segment at a time. Or if you have a sales rep that's doing this, one segment per rep. One ICP, one persona, one pain. But this is how you do your specialization. Mm-hmm. Too much thought is being put into SDR, AE, uh, CS. These roles don't matter to the customer. They only matter to you. Yep. But what we have to worry about is how is that knowledge moved so that they can have those good conversations that are actually valuable to the customer so that we're getting to the root of the problem so that they it's the fastest route to insight. They're like, oh shit, this person knows exactly what I'm going through. Like that is exactly my pain. <laughs> And they spotted evidence that I can't ignore because I'm seeing it. Yes. And this is where it changes the whole game. Mm -hmm. And what comes to mind, which is so crucial, certainly this approach changes the sorts of activity metrics that are reasonable in tracking to sort of revisit this from earlier. Honestly, this kind of work of identifying the right target accounts and sort of, you know, we've talked at least uh, pre-show, you know, scoring your TAM, scoring your market to understand which companies are good fits or not. That can take 60 days. You know, this is not a, <laughs> or more. I mean, or, it, more. It, or more, it could be 90 days. It could be six months. And, and some of it's agile. Some of it's, oh, we have this theory. Let's go test it out. Okay, that didn't work out. Okay, let's test this new one. Oh, that one did work out. And so you get closer and closer. And leadership has to be comfortable doing that. But it Mm -hmm. also changes the way that all of us do prospecting. Because, sure, and I don't mean tactical. I don't mean like 
what you put in the email. Some of that will flow naturally from your insights. I mean, cadences, volume-based approaches, the activity metrics that we're supposed to uphold. Because if you have that spear, you know that fish is right there and you hit it, does it, you know, you can exceed quota probably very quickly. And Nick, you actually have a ton of experience in doing this where, where your fellow sales team members were doing 30 calls a day and you were doing three and they would get barely any response from their 30 and you would get two of those three to say yes. Well, one of my favorite parts, too, is we always used to track dry runs. Mm. So how many sales process, did, like prospects, did you take through almost the whole process and then get nowhere? Mm-hmm. When I switched to this approach, and I have to thank Jordan Crawford because he amped this up a thousand times and has been teaching me. And uh, it's always funny when you have something that's kind of in the back of your brain, but you don't haven't really quantified it. And then somebody says it in a way that just makes sense. And you're like, that's why that works. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but dry the, I went from the dry runs. It used to be about 50-50 amongst that was kind of our group that it was just expected that you had to book extra because 50% would no show. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to go and do so much more in your pipeline because so much would disappear throughout the rest of the process. And like by proposals, it was a low number that would actually make it all the way through. Mm-hmm. But what I noticed is that more than 80% of the people I started with went through the entire process because I qualified earlier and I asked the tough questions in discovery that allowed me to put the customer first, which was really cool because if you know their timeline, I can actually go and set up my quarters in advance. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, you're not looking to go and start this initiative until next quarter and you need to have it done by this time. Well, it sounds like if we started about here, we could go and get that started book that next meeting, stay in touch, use social selling to go and you know keep delivering them good content and be connected with them, reach out from time to time. But now you're actually getting ahead of the curve and you're creating, taking that stress off your plate instead of always living month to month. Because you know what? I don't care if your company erases your traction at the end of the month or the end of the quarter. This doesn't work that way because this is based on you. Yeah. And if the company empowers you to take this approach, Mm-hmm. Then you can get technology that's doing this hard work of sorting through these pains and putting that list together as those people show those symptoms. Just came to mind, and this is an old, old principle of marketing, which is you need to make people's life easy. You just need to make it easy. It's sort of the fundamental user experience principle, which is, okay, what users are using, whatever we built, and how do we make their lives easy? What's the most intuitive way? And the mistake that I see sales teams often do is they become somewhat like, I don't, I don't want to be uh, too insensitive here, but like a puppy dog lover almost, like somebody who's almost too needy, too attached to the hip, too, you know, oh, is that what you need? Okay, yeah, I'm happy to provide that kind of thing. Uh-uh. We're still professionals, you know, we're still, and what Nick is pointing to is sort of a consultative sales approach, which is, okay, what do you need? We can help figure that out. Like, let me help be your guide. We don't want to be the, oh yeah, what? how can I best please you kind of thing? How can I best make sure that you have everything that you need in your life? That's fine and maybe it works for you. But this approach is, okay, let's make your life really easy. Let's figure out your requirements and I'm here to help you guide through the whole process. That's the consultative sales approach. There's no need to go and say, Morgan, yeah. what keeps you up at night? Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> because you've led with insight, you've identified uh-huh. a pain, you've yep. labeled the evidence that led you to that conclusion, and that conversation has started. One thing that you have to consider in this is that on average, somewhere, I think it's 5.4 people are part of a buyer's journey right now. Yeah, it's something pretty, yeah, uh-huh. I was reading a book a little while back and they were talking about the more people involved, mm-hmm. the more it changes the dynamic because you need to have a committee of yes because any extra person can derail it with a no. But think about it. When you lead with a pain instead of a personalized bullshit, mm-hmm. they can't ignore the business case. Yes, they're people buying products for a company, but it's for a company. So the first thing that has to come forward is the company, the business case, why it matters. And then you can go and tweak it to them a little bit, mm-hmm. especially when you get above the power line and they need to know how is it going to go and help top line? How is it going to build up bottom line? And how is it going to reduce risk? But think about that way. You go and talk to a buying committee and you're like, hey, I see your sales to marketing ratios out of whack. Hey, I just saw you guys did a bunch of funding and that your security protocols in your contracts that I could see weren't updated and they're leaving you you know, open to uh, a lawsuit. Yep. That's a scary thing as you're selling more and more with that extra money you just got to scale. Want help fixing it? Yep. But these are all triggers. These are all events that make the change now. Mm -hmm. And this is also why approaching with, we sell industry-leading software that, you know, makes your uh, systems more efficient is literal, just total bullshit. It, it just doesn't if you matter. Didn't, you wouldn't <laughs> like if you didn't we are have strategic, <laughs> we take a strategic approach to customers <laughs> and a holistic plan to how we solve problems. It's just and if you it didn't matter. you would not be strategic and right. you would take a very narrow approach. And this is also why personalized outreach often falls flat. And this is especially true on LinkedIn, because we personalize based on context clues and not based on pain. Mm-hmm. We personalized based on saw you were in this article worth it basically worth a chat. What? Uh, hey, saw Morgan, you. I see that you have art on your wall. Yeah. Do uh, <laughs> you want to go and look at this software suite that does really great intent <laughs> tent triggers? Saw you it's recently great. raised a round of money. Do you want to buy my software? That's literally the most blatant pitch I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that and, you got a promotion. Uh, want to talk? <laughs> Which none of that matters, right? We presume this sort of personalization is an event that matters. It doesn't matter. And in fact, Nick and I have talked with a ton of executives that have delayed putting their promotions three out on LinkedIn months. three to six months because they don't want the inundation of personalized connection requests and pitches based on the fact that they were recently promoted and some assumption of pain. Like, obviously, the whole engagement strategy is a large conversation for another day. But and we've done some of that already on this live show. For those of you who are new here, this is every Friday. <laughs> but we making it relevant is that key to personalization. And that relevancy is based on insight into what sort of pain they're experiencing. And I really want to hammer this, Nick, because you kind of glossed over it this week. And I feel it's so crucial having a sales professional focus on one persona within one ICP that's experiencing one kind of pain. Because the difference between targeting seven different companies and you go after three different personas and you set up sequencers to try and, I don't know, do after that, or you spend some upfront time understanding what the director of M&A is ex- mergers and acquisition is experiencing at each of those seven companies and then doing relevant 
personalized outreach to each of those personas based on a pain that they are likely experiencing because you've done your research totally transforms the game. That is the power of what Nick is laying out here. And D'Alessandro just asked something. We should state this. Is there a way to watch previous episodes? Yes, there is. Uh, you can listen, uh, if you would so care, on the podcast, which you can find at b2bpowerhour.com. Or we do have a YouTube channel that has all the video recordings of these shows. So however you like to consume, we're on YouTube, or you can listen to it on the podcast. Well, you can just go to the website, go to live shows. They're all right there. Morgan put yeah. in a nice little neat, easy way to find them faster Indeed. than LinkedIn. And then uh, the podcast, because sometimes it's nice to go for a run and learn. It's true. I'm a huge chores and podcast yeah. guy. Oh, I love doing chores with the podcast on. So okay. hello to all of our audio listeners who are listening to this right now. <laughs> you got to go back because now yep. here, there's a question we haven't addressed. Mm-hmm. How many? How many? How many, Morgan? Mm-hmm. How many accounts is enough? Mm-hmm. So let's go back to your spear phishing versus net example. If I had a net and my ratio on prospecting was low, let's call it mm-hmm. 5%. I have to do 20 times more volume to hit the same result. This is where the vanity metrics and the activity metrics come in, depending on. So now let's say we change this. How many do you really need to be chasing every week? The thing is, all the communication you did last week, all the communication you did last month doesn't just magically disappear because somebody said so. Those human beings don't cease to exist. (laughs) This compounds when you run a playbook. That playbook, like Morgan said, one ICP, one buyer persona, one pain, and then all your messaging that goes with it. That's what you got to do. And now you got to go and build up. So say you build a list of your whole, your TAM could be 800 to 1,000. But for that particular playbook, you should have less than 100. Yes. And it should take you 60 days to go and work through it. Mm Mm-hmm. Please, if anybody, as you're experimenting with this, shoot me a message and let me know. The The number that people have been telling me after we've talked about this is about 40 on average, but it depends on the size of accounts mm-hmm. to hit mm-hmm. quota mm-hmm. because sometimes they have to run a couple playbooks side by side in order to hit the numbers. And so if you're an SMB, that number is going to get higher because you need to go in, you'll have the sales value. Yep. You know, your average average sales less than 5,000 usually. So that'll mm-hmm. change things where mid, you know, mid-market and enterprise, you might only get one of those every six months, every three months. So you're actually adding stuff lower to go and add that. It just depends on your quota and your metrics, but mm-hmm. less is more. Mm-hmm. It allows you to be pay more attention. And the thing is, when it comes to how you're reaching out to them, you can reach out to different pains or you can reach out to different people within that organization about the pain. And this gets really fun because if you know that finance is going to get involved, go and state the same pain, show you how you saw it and how it relates to finance. Mm-hmm. Done. Move on. And then you're exactly. going dealing with IT. Tell them. Move on. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting anywhere with them, who are the victims of the current circumstance of that pain that feel it every day? Get them on your side. Route in from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now start to go to the top if that doesn't work. Take that information mm-hmm. you learned from the bottom. Go straight to the top. Tell them, hey, I was talking to SDRs. This is the pain that I saw, the observation. This is what happened. And by that point, you should be able to calculate the actual loss, that the, the opportunity they're missing, 
or the damage that it's causing. Mm-hmm. But less is more. 40 is probably about the best number you can find. You can use SalesNav to figure out that list. Mm-hmm. Don't just write in a list of 100 and then just start calling. You have to qualify each one unless you're using better data that allows you to dial it in. Mm-hmm. So just something to keep in mind. Well, and just to riff on this for a second, the reason that... So this is not totally out of left field. But the re- <laughs> always a good start. The reason that demand generation programs from the marketing side work is because they generate high intent inbound leads. And what we don't think about about high intent inbound leads is those high intent inbound leads have self-qualified based on marketing materials. They have seen not from a sales-led approach, but from the marketing side, all of the information and resources, and there's all of the lexicon of marketers that are involved in this. But they they've seen the yeah, they've seen the content, they've seen what you put out, the insights that your company has, all the rest of it, and they go, Oh, yeah, 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 that's for me. I should talk to them, right? Me, me, me. Talk to me. I need to talk with you about this. And so they become high intent inbound. All we're doing is we're just kind of flipping the coin. We are saying, let us as a sales-led motion do that front work to figure out who are those kinds of people that would say, oh yeah, that's me. What would they say? What's going Mm -hmm. to get them to say that? And not from a marketing approach, not from a demand generation side, but from a sales side, what is it that they need to hear? What are the things that are going to get their attention? And all we're just leading with that. That's all. And now it's an outbound motion instead of an inbound motion, but it's the same principle. It's helping them identify their own problems in their own words based on the pain that they're experiencing. And then you're routing based on what makes sense for your deals and your industry. And yeah, there's sure, sure, there's a lot of tactical approaches about how to write better cold emails or or how to do a better phone call or how to do prospecting. But honestly, if you do this work up front, and Nick knows this from his experience, and I'm seeing it in real time in ours, it makes your life a lot easier. <laughs> it makes your life a whole lot easier because now the ratios shift from volume and from your activities to accounts that really, you know, make a difference or the accounts that could really benefit from your services. Coming into the last 10 minutes. And so I want to open it up to make sure that we had a big conversation today with something that's very different than what traditionally is out there. So I want to open it up for questions and clarification. Or if anybody would like to go and stick their hand up and say, hey, I need help. What could be some of the things I look for? Mm-hmm. If you want to do that, throw yourself in the chat. Let us know what your company solves. What is the problem they solve and for who? Mm-hmm. And we can Absolutely. help you out. And if you're just not quite sure yet, one thing I'd like to see is what is it one takeaway you have from today that you're going to put into action? That mm-hmm. one thing. Let's mm-hmm. throw it in the comments. And for anybody listening on the podcast, Go and shoot us a DM. Um, yeah. Morgan has the, I don't know where it is on the website, but you have the field notes that goes out every Saturday. Yep. You can go and join there and then you can reply back to the field notes with any questions that you have, or you can go and also get the agenda that gets set out for the live show every week. Go and yep. reply to that. But let us know and then we can support you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. If there, as questions come in, one of the things that I also love about this approach, Nick, and I just have to say it. You're whispering. That makes me worry. Leaning into the mic and I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it also 
professionalizes sales to become self-sufficient. Because this is a skill, Mm -hmm. mostly. Being able to do this is a skill, and it's hard-earned, and we both know this. It is hard-earned skill. But you can now go to any company, once you've mastered this process, any position you work, you can be self-sufficient. You will hit quota or exceed it. You know, you will get in front of the right audiences. You know what is required of you in your position, and you're going to nail it. Jeffrey, great takeaway. Quality over quantity. The old principle. Yep. Quantity is is a predictable revenue game. And the funny thing is, is it <laughs> it works enough of the time that companies are like, sure, why not? You know, we don't need an alternative. But once you see the alternative, Nick, you're a lot happier doing only a few calls a day instead of 30 calls a day. <laughs> it's cheaper to do that than it is to buy a boat to go and drag the whole ocean. Yeah. Seriously, though, right? That's kind of the alternative, right? That people are looking at is, so how do we do this on such a huge scale? Or don't. Or just focus on events, change the way to align with people how they actually buy. People buy based on events. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to go and buy a fridge, I don't go, this fridge kind of sucks. I'm going to go buy a new one. (laughs) The fridge dies and I go, oh, shit. Uh, I need a new fridge. I have a thousand dollars of food sitting in that fridge and it needs to be not wasted. Luckily in Canada, we have this fridge outside sometimes through the year. So oh, it yeah. could go out there for a little bit. <laughs> not, <laughs> not too long and long enough to go and get the new fridge. But uh-huh. that's an event. That mm-hmm. went, okay, this went from like, eh, it's noisy and it's not the best to mm-hmm. holy crap, I need to go and buy something now. Yeah. And that's basically what we're doing is you're looking at to do that at scale. And mm-hmm. as you get better at this, and you tighten up what that looks like, that is when you buy tech. Yes. Once you know what to look for, you can go and buy the tech that gives you this data at a scale that allows you to be a sniper. And it's funny because then competition doesn't matter because really, what did they say something about like 70, 80% of the time, people pick the first person that reached out about a problem. Yeah. Well, if you're reaching out to them and generating that demand based on the events you're seeing, and maybe they know about it, maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. It's not very often that you're going to the procurement table. Well, it depends on the size of the company. Right. To go and wrestle it out with the other two people that they brought to the table. Yeah. Because you set the buying criteria. Mm-hmm. David had a great comment. Intent data does not tell their pain. Glad that that resonated. It's very true. <laughs> 30 um, dials per hour? Jeffrey, that's Holy nuts. Crap. <laughs> like I, now with like connect and sell and parallel dialing, I could see doing that, especially having a pain base. But 30 yeah. an hour, I was, I used to go and burn out when I was in M&A and we were required to do 120 plus an hour or 120 plus a day. And that was a full day. Oof, that's Oof. nuts. Jolyn at asked, just to clarify, when you're saying calls, aka dials, you just mean outreach in general, right? Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. when we're talking specifically about like cold calls, no, we're so- talking specifically about calls. But when we're talking about our outbound prospecting methods, yes, we're just talking about outreach in general, depending upon the ways that you need to thread and route into the account. Jolyn had mm-hmm. asked that in the in the comments. Jen, question. so Jen asked, when looking at different SDR jobs, do you look at the product slash software to make sure it's something you would like to represent? Or do most people just take whatever SDR job that comes along just to get experience? That's a big, good question. Mm-hmm. Coming from the marketing side, looking in, Morgan. 
Oh, would, what do you think on this one? Hunt this to me. No, I'll, I'll answer it. But I'm, I'm curious, like, just how would you look at this? In all of the jobs that I've taken, I've always tried to work for companies that I actually believed in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes now, Mark Manson has this principle, and you'll forgive a lot of the language for this, which is called the shit sandwich. Which is that any job you take has a shit sandwich. It's just part of the deal. One job I worked had a 35 minute commute, so I drove more than an hour a day to get into the job. That was horrible. Other jobs have, you know, fluctuations of income. Other jobs, you know, there's always something that's like not exactly perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sort of getting centered on, okay, what's the sandwich you're willing to eat, right? Is it is that acceptable to you? <laughs> and you said it at the bare minimum. <laughs> and maybe it is a company whose product you just don't fully believe in, but you want the experience. If that's what resonates for you then I'd say that that's what's going to resonate for you. But for me, I've always tried to take after jobs that I actually believed in in the software or in the product because that meant that I was more engaged and more willing to show up every day. Because that's that's how I work. That's just kind of my inner compass. Nick? There's external and internal factors to this. Ones Mm -hmm. in which you can't see from the outside, so you'd have to go talk to people. But externally, I would look for companies that have product market fit. Yeah. Screw all the rest. Have they actually figured out a, a pain point and people that see the value in fixing it? When you go to their website, are they a small company that look like a billion dollar company because we specialize in digital transformation? We are a marketing <coughs> expert. <laughs> oh, no. You have to you look for something that actually dives into a real pain at a level that's meaningful. And then from there, I would look at how successful are the other SDRs? Mm-hmm. What's quota attainment? Mm-hmm. And with that, what are they actually getting paid? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of false truths in the sales world where they quote you on what you could make, but they don't quote the average. They quote the best of the best mm-hmm. and call it average. And that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And so make sure you understand when you look internally, how are they getting paid? And also look at what are they getting tracked on? What we just talked about today, you have to go and work hard to make this work in most systems because most systems are designed for you to go in make work. Yeah. They want you to make work every day to go and justify space. And so if you look at the management and you look at the KPIs and you look at how they see, are they there to penalize or are they there to coach? What is their mindset? Because that is what can make or break your career. Mm -hmm. And that, especially when you're starting out, Mm -hmm. is one of the things I wish I would have had right away because it would have shaved three to five years of experimentation off of me. Yep. And it would have accelerated my entire career. Product market fit, pay, culture. I mean, those definitely are huge. Because I will say, like, yeah, and I have I done this? Maybe. You can take a position with a startup. It's going to bring its own challenges. <laughs> and if you're just starting out in the industry, it's probably yeah, not going to be super supportive to your growth and coaching. They're going to want performance. And that often mm-hmm. leads to the sorts of toxic cultures that Nick and I abhor uh, because they demand performance over anything else. So it's sometimes better to take a job somewhere else to get your feet under you or get that experience. And then if you're ever interested in it, yeah, sure, go for it. Nick, we're at time. Thank you to everyone who has joined us today. As we mentioned earlier, you can always find the full archive at b2bpowerhour.com on top of some other fun playbooks we've released for LinkedIn. And we do this every Friday. Thank you for everyone that put it forward. And it's contributed and happy selling. And just so you know, you don't have to suffer in silence. Yes, indeed. Happy Friday, everyone. Bye. Happy Friday. Bye.
Are you ready to level up your skills and take on fun challenges with great people that want to see you succeed? Join the 1UP Club today. As a member, you get the best insights and takeaways from the show delivered to you every week. Plus, brand new resources developed by our team of sales experts, the Team of 10. Go to b2bpowerhour.com slash join to get started today.